Guten Morgen, meine Lieblings. It's me, David Robertson. And it's me, Christopher Carter, and we are the Religious Studies Project. And as Brexit looms ever closer, I'm feeling international today. Uh, spring has sprung here in Edinburgh, and I'm, fu- I'm full of the joys of the season. Yeah, talking of international, uh, we had an interview here that was recorded, um, you know, almost... Almost the entire globe was covered by the span of this interview. <laughs> it's um, an interview that Brianne Fallon recorded for us in Sydney with um, Ruth Illman, who's of the Abo Academy University in Finland. Yes, and she's talking about melodies of change and music in progressive Judaism. So I'm going to hand straight over to Brianne. Today I have with me Dr. Ruth Illman. She is Docent Associate Professor of Comparative Religion at Abo Academy University, and she's also um, Professor of History of Religions at Uppsala University. She is currently Director of the Donner Institute for Research in Religious and Cultural History in Turku in Finland. Together with Dr. Karen Hedner-Zetterholm, she is the editor of the Open Access Peer Review Journal of Scandinavian Jewish Studies. Dr. Ilman has published more than 30 peer-reviewed articles in journals such as Contemporary Jewry, the Nordic Journal of Comparative Religion and Journal of Contemporary Religion, as well as monographs and edited volumes with Rutledge, Brill and Equinox. Her most recent work is Music and Religious Change Amongst Progressive Jews in London, Being Liberal and Doing the Traditional. So um, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great. Um, I thought we'd just start off by talking about your most recent monograph, um, Music and Religious Change amongst, Among Progressive Jews in London. Mm-hmm. It looks at religious change in relation to music within the context of contemporary progressive Judaism. I thought we could begin with just talking about music and Judaism. Um, I thought you could maybe give us a bit of an insight into what role music plays in the Jewish Jewish faith? And is there any sort of difference between progressive or orthodox denominations amongst the Jewish community? Well, thank you. That's a very huge question. I'll try to answer it the best I can from my point of view. Now, um, I'm not an expert on all forms of Judaism in all times and all, all, all over the world, so to say. So I will mostly speak then from my own, or from the context that I have been researching and try to make some parallels from there. But um, as a scholar of religion, uh, and, and especially contemporary religion, I could say that I think that music in general is, is relevant to, to religiosity, not just within Judaism, but, but all over. And, and I think we can see, see especially today that um, for many people who, who, who seek forms of religious engagement today that, that they can somehow side with and, and feel comfortable with. Music is playing an importantly, uh, more and more important role, so to say, because music somehow seems to, to capture many of the dimensions that people seek in a religious engagement today, which is uh, that it's, it's not just an intellectual way of engaging with, with the religious faith. It also has emotional and embodied sides to it. It is. Uh, it can be very individual and, and very sort of personal, but still also something you do tied to a community. So and it, and it's not music. It's not always as words as clearly fixed to 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 to, to structures and, and to interpretation. But it's more open for everybody. So so 
but still it is it's meaningfully grounded in a tradition, just like the, the Jewish traditions I have been, been researching. So it, it's creative, but it's also very constitutive of, of certain traditions. So it, it, it gives you freedom to, to form your own religious engagement, but it still ties you to a community and to history. So, so, so as a first point, I would like to say that I think music is, is more more relevant to, to religious studies all over than we maybe think, because I think in our research fields, we're always so preoccupied with the words and with the texts and, and, and sort of looking at, at music as a secondary uh, aspect to it. But, but I wanted to put music in, in the center here. And, and if we speak then about music within Judaism, of course, this is an immense topic. And, um, a first question, of course, is what, what do we count as music in, in, in a religious Jewish setting? Is it just the liturgical singing? Is it the nusach, the, the cantillation modes? Is it the traditional chants? Is it maybe the cantorially led music that we have in some, some congregations? Somewhere in, in some, some places we have a choir. We might, might even have communal singing in the more progressive uh, denomination. So it is a great variety and it's a great mix today. But I think um, as I have been focusing on these on this, uh, progressive uh, denominations in a British context, I think what more of, and more of them are saying in, in the interviews I have made is that they feel that music and, and musical engagements, singing and, 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 uh, and music overall, has been lacking from their tradition uh, they, they feel they feel that that it's been impoverished as so much has been focused on the spoken word and and on the benefit of, of taking away these uh, elements that were seen maybe to be obscure and old fashioned and 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 mystical not in a positive sense so so I, I think this also proves to the fact that that different kinds of music is is more and more appreciated all over the line and um, uh, also, when we speak about Jewish music in, in this context, which I think shows very well in my interviews, is that I think we, as researchers, there, there's um, we don't have the possibility really any longer to try to define this kind of grand narrative of Jewish music. So what is Jewish music and what is not Jewish music and what music belongs to which, which part of the Jewish world and so on. We, we, we cannot draw these clear boundaries anymore. But, but Jewish music, instead, I think we have to look at, at the context that we are, are, are researching. So it's a question of how we interpret the music, what associations are made, in what context it's presented, what intentions are, are tied to it. And there we can sort of try to circle in what we mean with Jewish music. This was maybe so a you- very broad answer to your question. <laughs> That's okay. Um, maybe we should hone in a bit now, as you say, circle mm. in. Um, on your particular group you've been looking at, which is progressive Judaism. Mm -hmm. Um, My first sort of question when you were talking there is um, you talked a little bit about sort of the revival of music in progressive Judaism. Mm -hmm. What sort of timeline are we looking at in terms of this revival? Is it a relatively recent phenomenon that we're seeing? Well, both yes and no. Um, I have made my interviews uh, between 2014 and 2016, so so of course that's very recent. And the persons mm. I've been talking to, they they have a rather broad age span, so they're born between the 1940s and, and the 1990s. 
so so I have both rather young and and also people who have have uh, who have um, grown up and come of age in the sixties. And what most of them who make this historical line would say that this this process of change has a lot of roots in in the Jewish revival movement, which of course was tied is a phenomenon of the sixties and and uh, and uh, especially placed in in the United States where where uh, the whole idea of of reviving Judaism and finding a more spiritually engaging way of practicing Judaism. Uh, arose along with a lot of other new age movements and the hippie movement and uh, all the countercultural milieu that that we find in the late 60s so many many would say that that we start already here in in searching for this uh, this more embodied and and uh, and um, engaging musical practices within Judaism but i i would say that in my my um, in my material most people would talk about the change in a much shorter, shorter perspective. Maybe talking about the 21st century more, but I think we we can see relevant ties to to a process that began already in the 60s. And what sort of um, function is this music have having as part of this revival? What role is it playing? Mm, I, I think um, the subtitle of, of of my book is being liberal and doing traditional, and I think this captures it quite well and the role of music here. Because uh, for for the people I have I have uh, interviewed, they would not be interested in in um, uh, in in, in uh, trying out and, and uh, exploring a more more um, orthodox or or traditional theology. They are very comfortable in their liberal progressive theological values, which are very inclusive and and very sort of of um, uh, very uh, very open to, to to liberal values. But uh, what they want is a more traditional way of doing the Jewish stuff. I mean, how you, you go about the way of, of expressing your, your Jewish uh, tradition and, and what kind of things in, in manifest ways you become Jewish. And here I think that the music plays a pivotal role because somehow it's through the music that you can try to connect to more traditional ways of, of, of especially these uh, more traditional ways of singing uh, the bringing in, in the cancellation to the to the services, for example, not just reading the text but but chanting them in traditional Jewish ways, and uh, and then also um, bringing in more Hebrew uh, besides the vernacular languages, which are very broadly used in the progressive services in in Britain, trying out the the, the, the sacred language, the Hebrew language, and and. Uh, and and sort of bringing all the dimensions that it, it can bring, and and my my special interest was in in a in a musical practice called nigunim, which is is a, uh, which means melody in in Hebrew and and uh, or tune, which is a, a, actually a, a tradition that derives from the Hasidic tradition, where you instead of singing with words, you just skip the words and just use uh, onomatopoetic syllables like lai lai. So that the singing itself becomes the prayer, not the the words that are spoken, and this is explored in in many many different kind of progressive settings today. And this would not mean that the persons who are who are interested in in, in uh, adapting nigunim to liberal services that they would be interested in Hasidic theology at all, but but more the way of expressing this, uh, the way of expressing and the way of using music to to build a more comprehensive relationship to to the liturgy so here i think we can see the, the role of music as as um, 
something that, that gives you an open space to combine and, and connect to tradition, but still uh, hold on to, to the theological values that you want to preserve, the liberal values. So, so I, I would say that the role of music is rather big here in, in this situation. It's somehow, it is a tool that is, uh, well, it's not just a tool, but it, it's, um, it's a context and it's a way of, of, of being and doing Jewish that is available and useful in, in, this, in combining liberal values with, with uh, traditional ways of practicing. It really sounds like it's trying to bridge that gap between, I suppose you could phrase it as, as the old and the new, which mm. I think is um, quite a bit of a hot topic in religious studies at the moment, this sort of difference between very traditional streams of, of faith practice and, and more sort of liberal and open, if you want to put mm. it that way. Mm-hmm. And this music seems to be a way that those two things are combined in, in modern Jewish practice. Absolutely. And I think it's also a way of acknowledging that, that uh, religion is not a static thing and mm. it's always changing. I mean, what we would call traditional today is, of course, always also something that is adapting and changing always with the context and with the time. And when I say that liberal Jews in London sing Negunim, what they, they are, of course, adapting it to their own uh, needs and practices. We have the whole issue of oh, men and women, for example, singing together at all, Kolisha, if, if the, the voice of the woman should be, be heard at all. And, uh, and, um, and, and I would also say that many of them, or most of them, mo- very consciously are not saying that they are reviving something, that they're going back, you know, to tradition. It's not a move backwards, it's a move forwards. But it's, it's a, a it's, um, it's a creative and free way of um, using tradition as a well to, 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 to find inspiration in, but then to develop it to something that goes along with, with your own practice and your own values and your own ethical standpoints. So it's very much not going back to tradition. I think it's mm. very much going forward, but with inspiration from the past. And what I, I think that that's what you were also saying about here, and which I think is very relevant, where we end up is, is um, as researchers, we have to question the idea of of, um, of institutional engagement that is sort of as a very clear line where we have, for example, um, orthodox and, and traditional in one end of the scale, and then we have the liberals in the other end of the scale, and that we have some sort of clear line here of development and you can place in people you know somewhere on this continuum because in what what these creative new combinations show is that you can actually combine uh, a theological position which is very liberal with practices that are very traditional and what you get is is um, personal outlooks on how to be and do jewish that do not fit these models that we try to squeeze people into I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this sort of specific community that you looked at, mm. this sort of community in London. Is there anything specific about the reason why it has popped up in London? Is this happening in other places? What's interesting about that specific landscape? Yes, thank you. I think this is a very important question. Now, as you mentioned in your introduction, I'm, I'm uh, based in Finland and I, I, uh, I, I'm working at a, or I lead a research institute in Finland. And, well, first, the practical reason, the number of Jews in Finland is so small. It's, uh, well, officially we have about 1,500 persons in Finland who belong to Jewish communities. 
And so this kind of research would not have been possible to do in Finland. But I wanted very much to do a research that would focus on European Jewry, because I feel that much of, of the research on, on, on Judaism we have today is focused very much on the large centers of, of, of Jewish population, so North America and Israel, and, and much of what is going on in, in, um, in, uh, in, in Europe or in Australia, for that matter, is, is not given as much um, focus as it could be. So I wanted to, to focus on, on, on European Jewry. And I also wanted to explicitly to do research on, on, on progressive and, 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 um, and liberal Judaism today, because also I think much of the research that we do on Judaism today is either focused on the history or then on these very, very sort of uh, orthodox communities, of course, because they offer the most sort of uh, controversial and, 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 and specific context. So, so I wanted to, to, to focus on, on the liberal side. The, the, the reason that I ended up in, in um, doing my research at Leo Beck College, um, well, it, it was, first of all, practical reasons that I, I had connections there. But I wanted very much to focus also on a college community. It's quite a special congregation we have there because among my interviews are, are students who are studying to become rabbis, both in the liberal and in the, in, and, and in the reform movement in Britain, but also more largely in, in Europe. Uh, so I have the students and I have the teachers and the alumni and, and other people who are, are connected to, to the college. And of course, a college is quite a dynamic place. It's during your studies that you, you try out different ways of, of, uh, of leading Jewish services, for example. When these people will move out into the congregations in Britain and, and as, as congregational rabbis, maybe they will need more to adapt to, to the traditions of the specific community where they work and, and, and all these things. But, but during your studies, you are still quite open to, to try out the different visions that you have for how to, how to use music. In, in your Jewish life. So I think the college was really a marvelous place to, to do this research. And even though this, this um, Leo Beck College, it's, it's um, physically, it's in, in North London, and most of the students and teachers that I talked to were, were, were British in origin. Some of them had, had been liberal Jews for four generations. Some of them had uh, converted from Christianity. Others had uh, an Orthodox background, for example. And they also had their roots in, in lots of different countries, Germany, Russia, Romania, France, uh, Canada, United States, Israel, just to mention it. So it was a very cosmopolitan and very dynamic and very interesting milieu. But still, the college somehow is the connecting context for all of them. So that's how I ended up doing the research at Leo Beck. And what do you think was... Was there anything specific about London itself apart from that college environment? Well, of course, London is one of the most international and multicultural places on all earth. So in that sense, it was very interesting to see how these developments take place in this, this uh, extremely, extremely sort of a multicultural milieu. And, uh, and, but I still think also that... Britain can function, and, and London especially now can function as, as this very specified prism through which we can see developments and, and see, see, have a perspective also on, on, on different, uh, different um, developments that we see. I, I, could, I think it's, it's a good reflection of, of what is maybe coming to the Nordic countries 
where the Jewish communities are rather small and and have quite quite unified backgrounds. We can also we have in 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 Europe, of course, the other large center of of, uh, of Jewry is France, where we have a different development going on. But then also the British development is very closely tied, of course, to to what is going on in North America. But still, also quite I think many many of of, of the British Jews also have a very um, a conscious wish to, to, to form their own interpretation of, of the lines of development that come from, from the United States. So in that sense, I think it's, 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 it's a good mirror for different kind of, of um, developments we see in other parts of the Jewish world. So um, do you think that this sort of movement could ha- happen in perhaps less progressive areas, um, perhaps somewhere um, like Israel perhaps? Well, there is, of course, in Israel also these kind of, of developments going on. I haven't specifically been uh, studying in the Israeli context, but 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 um, there are a lot of very progressive and very innovative uh, small chavuras and, and communities all over Israel that work along these same lines. And many of, of the cantors and, and the rabbinic students that I talk to also find great inspiration with different small communities in Israel. So... I would say that it's it's also very central there. And yes, I, I think, I mean, in different ways, I think this is a movement that you can see all over the spectrum, so to say. And and I, I think it was very interesting to, to put the focus on, especially on the role of music here and what it enables and how it speaks to people today. And I think that that goes over the line. But uh, of course, it has very different parameters and, and different uh, um, uh, enablers when you, when you move to more traditional uh, communities, especially when it comes to to, to gender issues and, and issues of, of inclusion and so on. I think um, I would like to just briefly touch on this this concept of gender because mm. I think um, what I've taken from this interview so far is your research is really helping to break down a lot of sort of categories that may have traditionally been part of religious studies. Mm. So it's breaking down the idea of, of orthodox and traditional. It's, it's breaking down the idea of even, you know, more orthodox spaces and places, mm. you know, and we can see the sort of liberal movements popping up, you know, throughout the world. It's not as though it has to be in a particular space or, or, mm. or place. Yeah. And this idea of, of the boundaries of gender mm. is something that I think is particularly interesting. Is this music helping break down that barrier? Is that a role that it's taking or is that sort of a separate idea altogether? Uh, well, yes and no, I would answer to this. Uh, at a first glance, I think you might get the feeling that that music is a very inclusive space where where, where the role of, of gender is, is uh, sort of toned down or, or being given given less of a, of a decisive role. But on the other hand, in my interviews, I can also clearly see that there is still a gender difference. For example, if you are a male rabbinic student, you have much greater possibilities to just enter any Jewish space that you, you want to and take part of very orthodox rituals if you want to. As a woman, you still cannot do that. And especially my interviews with, with women who were a bit older, who were born in the 40s or in the 50s, for them, uh, many of them felt that they, would, that they had to leave an, an Orthodox Jewish background behind if they wanted to be part of, 
of have an active role in the liturgy, for example, because women were not allowed those kind of positions. But then, if they then um, they moved from from an Orthodox congregation, for example, to a Reform congregation, they would feel very much at a loss with with the whole uh, the liturgy and the ceremony because it was so different. And they would they could could even today tell about how they longed for for the the music and 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 the, the recitation and and the liturgical form that they wanted to have, but which they could not be included in in, in the Orthodox. Uh, settings because they were women and and uh, of course all chances for this is much greater today and, and, and women are being included more and more but but still I, I think uh, we, we shouldn't uh, women are not as free to experiment with their spirituality and they not all these um, interesting in, interesting aspects of the tradition are not open to them in the same way as, as to male students and also I think one of the teachers also Said that she was um, uh, that she was also felt a bit of a caution against students who very actively experiment with very orthodox practices, because uh, somehow when they are rooted in 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 theology that is is uh, non inclusive when it comes to women or converts or or people of of uh, of, of um, other kind of, of minority positions within the community, it's somehow hard to, to divorce the divorce the, the the music from 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 the background where it comes from. So so you always need to be aware also that you do not import um, theological positions that you wouldn't like to defend when when you when you try out the, the, the music. So both yes and no, I would say. I mean, uh, we, we might think that music is very, very useful in 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 this discussion, but it it's not it's not without its problems either. Your your research seems to highlight a lot of different areas of religious studies that perhaps um, we need to maybe tweak or look at more broadly. We've sort of looked at. Um, the idea of sort of different categories of orthodox or, or liberal in this interview, as well as the idea of space and place and the idea of music more generally. Mm. When you wrote this monograph, did you have sort of an idea of the broader impact of your work on religious studies as a field? Yes. I mean, my background in, in religious studies, I have done um, most of my research has dealt with issues of, of interreligious dialogue and cultural encounters and uh, and also of contemporary religiosity, doing this sort of ethnographic research on, on, on religiosity today. And then the arts has been the central focus um, of, of my research. I've done a lot of research on, on art as an arena for, for, for both for, for religious identity formation, but also for encounters and, and so on. And what I, what I wanted to to show also, and I, what, it, what I wanted, which I think has a broader bearing, not just on Jewish studies, but on religious studies more generally, is the fact that um, what, what role we can allot to other dimensions of the religious engagement than just the texts and the intellectual, the dogmas, and, 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 and this, this part of, of, of the religious engagement. Um, Rosalind Hackett, Professor Rosalind Hackett in the United States, she has called for a more sonically aware religious studies. And I think that's a, a brilliant way of putting it. And that's what I hope I can also contribute with this study. 
that uh, we need to realize that music and the arts in general are not just ornaments or illustrations of something more profoundly important to religion, but that they are uh, aspects of the religious engagement in their own right that we need to, to give serious scholarly attention. So, so um, I, I think that uh, we need to, to take it, so, not to say that, that uh, we need to have more, you know, emotional and, and embodied religious studies, which we do, but we shouldn't see this as an opposite, that either you have an intellectual engagement, which is sort of more, more sincere with the tradition, and then you have all this nice music and arts that come as, as ornaments to make it more interesting, but to really see that, that these are, are, can be put on the same level and they both speak about religion in, in ways that we as scholars also need to be able to take seriously and listen to. So it's not an anti-intellectual stance. It's more like a call for a, a more nuanced religious studies that is not just falling into these black and white boxes and to, to see how we can sort of um, have a more, more um, nuanced and plural idea of what what religion and religiosity means by taking these aspects of the religious engagement more seriously. Just before we finish up, I have a bit of a left field question for Mm. you. Um, I don't know uh, how familiar you are with the world of sort of Jewish pop music on YouTube, but there are (laughs) some very... um, fun I suppose you would put it sort of YouTube clips of sort of um Jewish I guess sort of cover bands covering pop music and sort of changing the lyrics Mm. I just wondered if you have any thoughts on these sort of um sort of very sort of um you know popular interpretations of music Mm. amongst the Jewish community. Oh, yeah. I, I know some of them, especially with, with the Chabad outreach that have these really, yes. this really, yeah, of, of all these uh, great world hits of boy bands, which they make into to 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 to, to, to sort of uh, information music about uh, different Jewish holidays and so on. I think it's great fun, and uh, of course, I mean, music is is a creative tool, and I, I think it would be wrong to say that that something is more authentic than something else or that, you know, some way of using music is wrong and something else is right. I, it, I, I think it just illustrates very well what a powerful tool music is and how, how much it speaks to people. And, and um, also with, I mean, with, with the, from my own material, if I think about this Nigunim singing and just singing Lai Lai, so most people would say, well, this is just like using, you know, a, a Buddhist mantra. And and uh, or or the the Tessé tunes we have in, in in Christianity, where which sort of work on the same idea that you sing short syllables to to repetitive music in a meditative way. But still, the fact that you can point to it that it has a connection to the Jewish tradition that, that the the nigunim the lilacing it it comes from 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 part of, of the Jewish world. It somehow it it it, it somehow ties these traditions closer to the heart, to the people, and, and make them more meaningful. And I think that's just what, what you can see in this pop music too, that, that sort of referencing to and, and alluding to the sources and to the tradition and, and to something that is felt to be very authentically Jewish. It, it, it's a very powerful tool. So I would say it's just a good, good illustration of the, the power of music. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, um, Dr. Ilman. I think 
this discussion of music has just, you know, sort of opened my eyes to sort of the amount of um, sort of creative energy there is out there in terms of um, religious practice and particularly in terms of, um, you know, this sort of bridging the boundaries between Mm. sort of different worlds, different traditions maybe, and I urge everyone to go check out the world of Jewish music on YouTube. Well, thank you very much for this interesting discussion. Great. Thank you so much. Lots of excellent topics covered there. We haven't touched on Judaism much. We haven't touched on music that much on the podcast, although I'm reminded of your excellent drone metal episode with yep, um, thank Owen you. Coggins, which might be a sort of quite a contrast to the music. Well, maybe, maybe, but uh, it's often good to compare these very different case studies to show how uh, taking a perspective like music or imagery or anything else to different case studies can reveal interesting things. Yeah, and interesting also at Bo Academy. So um, we interviewed Marcus Moberg and Sophia Shu from there um, a while back, well, fairly recently, um, but I was just in Helsinki and we were chatting about the, the RS set up in, in Finland and apparently there's only, I mean, this is just what I heard in the department, there, there are only really four departments of where you can do the study of religion in, in Finland, um, Helsinki, Turku, um, a, a very, very small university over in the, the, the other corner of the country, which has one professor, and then Abo Academy. But it's the Swedish-speaking universe. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Uh, so um, there you go. Well, that's probably about the same as Scotland. I mean, I think Finland's got about the same population, right? It's about, about the same like size. That. And we've not got many study of religion. I think we've got four departments as well. Yeah. I think it's Edinburgh, Glasgow, Stirling and Aberdeen. Although Glasgow and Aberdeen are both, you know, it's not quite... A department. You can't do it at St Andrews. You could say that for for um, Sterling as well. Well, and oh, for our four and a half staff here at Edinburgh. Right. Hey. <laughs> Religious studies Boom. conquering the world. Um, um, but for such a very small field, we produce an awful lot of good stuff. <laughs> very, very good save there, Chris. Excellent work. Um, next week's interview is... Um, a first interview. A first interview. It's called Christian Beauty Pageants, and it's um, an interview with Chelsea Bellinger with uh, Christine Black. Bellinger or Belanger? I'm not sure. Let's just go with them. Go confidently. Belanger. (laughs) Belanger. um, um, And it's with uh, Christine Black, who's one of our new interviewees, joining us this... Interviewers. Interviewers. I was, yes. um, Interviewers joining us this uh, season. So let's hear from her. My fascination with religion began at an early age. I remember playing dress-up with friends as a child. The other girls were always putting on big skirts and crowns to become a princess or maybe even a bride. Meanwhile, I was hanging a petticoat off the back of my head and pretending to be a nun. While for some this might seem totally normal, but for a Mormon girl in rural central Utah, it was seen as just a bit odd. As I got older, I gave up my dream of being a nun, as well as my membership in the LDS Church, but kept my fascination with religion. Today, I am a social scientist whose focus on religion centers around congregational studies, 
I completed my Ph.D. at Drew Theological School in Madison, New Jersey. My dissertation was an ethnographic study of LDS congregations, which looked at how the idea of family is perpetuated and practiced. You can find my book, A Sociology of Mormon Kinship, published by Edwin Mellon Press, on Amazon and through other booksellers. My current research examines the idea of religious freedom and how it might be used to codify bigotry in some more conservative social and religious groups. I'm Christine Black. I hope you join me on the Religious Studies Project as I talk to guests about their work in the field of religion. Fantastic to hear from you there, Chris. Christine, um, we've got at least another two interviews from Chris coming up, and I know that uh, there's more in the pipeline as well. Indeed, and if you're a Patreon supporter, there should be a new issue of Discourse just gone out, um, the first one of this year, and there's a few of those in the pipeline coming your way, uh, so stay tuned. If you're not a Patreon, well, if you are a Patreon supporter, thank you. If you're not, you should think about it because there's some great content there. Um, I've got, have we got anything else needing said? Uh, Thanks for listening. Yes, there's that. <laughs> the Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The RSP is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SCO 47750. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson and our managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett and our opportunities digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.